Welcome to River of Life's Wednesday Night Podcast with Derek Gray. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to visit River of Life Church this Wednesday at 7 p.m. in Crawfordville. Visit rolcrawfordville.com for service times and directions. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Now, let's join Derek as he teaches from the Word of God. No, if of, of many verses in the Bible like this one. On its face, it's very simple. Uh, it's pretty easy to understand, uh, very straightforward, but it is so deep and so encompassing. Uh, there are a, a lot of verses in the Bible that enjoin us to trust God, a lot of them. But I don't know if there's anywhere in the Bible another verse that Christians have come back to throughout the centuries more than this one. You see, as Christians, we have to go through things. There's just no way around it. We don't, I've said it before, being a Christian, you don't get a get-out-of-jail-free card. You're going to suffer and you're going to go through things just like everybody else. That's just, that's just life. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. He's, he had it and we're going to have it. And as Christians, we go through things, and sometimes it's painful things and tragic things. Sometimes it's things, even to our eyes, they look evil. Or or on the other hand, sometimes we go through things and we look at it and think, man, that's just, that's pointless. What's the point of all this? See, when we go through those things, this is the verse that we come to. This is the verse that we come to time and time again. Now listen... To be honest, as promises go, this is about as straightforward as you get. Anybody can understand it. A child can understand it. I don't need to open a, a Greek dictionary to, to, so that you know what all things means, right? All things means what? It means the good things and the bad things and the frustrating things and the tiring things and the pointless, seemingly pointless things and the tragic things and the painful things and the hard things. All of those things fit in this bucket or under this umbrella that the Bible says all things work for good to those who are called. Now, tonight we're going to be talking about this. Now, as I said, this promise is straightforward. All things work for good to those who love God and are called according to His promise. Now, we're going to talk about what all things and, and all of that stuff means really next week. Tonight, we got a different subject that we need to cover. Because here's the thing, as great as this promise is, and there, it is an incredible promise, this promise is not for everybody. Okay? It's not for everybody. There are two requirements that go along with this verse, that go along with this promise. Two, two prerequisites, if you will, that have to be true of you in order for this verse to apply to your life. Paul says, first of all, you must love God. And number two, you must be called according to His purpose. If those two things are true about you, then this promise is true about you. But if those two things aren't, then this promise don't apply to you. Now, just as an aside, so you know, we're not talking about two groups of people. Everybody with me? This is one group of people that have both of these things true about them. So what we want to make sure of tonight is we want to make sure, I want to make sure 
that I'm in this group of people that this promise belongs to me. Because you see, there's another group of people who don't love God, and they're not called according to His purpose. And for that group, all things don't work for their good. In fact, for that group, all things are working for their condemnation. You see, with that group, when good things happen to them, they don't give thanks to God, and it's storing up wrath. Even when the bad things happen to them, and sometimes they, uh, they don't even ask God for help, or by the way, if they do, as soon as they're out of the situation, they forget all about God. Guess what? When you do things like that, you're just storing up wrath, storing up wrath, storing up wrath. I don't want to be in that group. I want to be in the group that all things are working for my good, not my condemnation. So we're going to look at these two things tonight. Next week, we'll talk more about this all things work for good. But tonight, I want to make sure that I'm in the group, and I hope that you are in this group. So we're going to look at these two things. Now, the first thing we're going to look at is this. Are you one of those who love God? That's what Paul said. All things work together for those who love God. Is that you? Do you love God? Well, let's ask this question. What does it mean to love God? Well, let me give you three things, first of all, that it does not mean. Loving God has nothing to do with meeting His needs. I remember one time I asked somebody, did they love God? And they said, well, yeah, I go to church. I give my money. I volunteer at... at, at, at... No. <laughs> Loving God is not somehow or another meeting His needs. Acts 17, 20. Five says this, God is not served by human hands as though He has need of anything. God doesn't need anything from us. Folks, God doesn't even need our worship. He's not on some kind of ego kick where, where He needs us to worship Him. No, He's God. He knows who He is. He's pretty self-satisfied in His own skin, so to speak. He doesn't need us. Now, He's pleased with our worship. To be honest, worship is a lot more for us than it is for Him. It's what we were made for. It's what we were created for. So, so loving God is not meeting His needs. I'll tell you something else. Loving God is not love for His gifts. Now listen, God is going to bless us and God is going to give us gifts and we should be thankful for those. We should cherish those. But there is a big, big difference between loving His gifts and loving the giver. So you go back to Romans 1 and you read about the people there, the unbelievers, and that was their condemnation is that they loved the creation more than they love the Creator. We don't want to be one of those. There's nothing wrong with being thankful for His gifts, but just that's not loving God. And here's the third thing loving God is not. Loving God is not the works that you do for Him. Now listen, loving God may prompt you to do some incredible things. You may take a vow of poverty. You may leave your family and go to another country to serve on the, the mission field. You may do incredible things. But, but that love for God prompts, that's the fruit of a love for God. That's not the essence of a love for God. Jesus said, if you love me, what? Then you'll keep my commandments. See, keeping my, the commandments is a fruit of, of, of the love that you already have for Him. It's, it's the love for Him that prompts you to keep His commandments. So what is love for God? This is the best way that I can explain it. Love for God, of course, is first and foremost a matter of the heart. I want you to listen to these statements by two men that love God. The first one is a man named Job, and this is what he said. Though he 
kill me, I'm still going to trust him. There's another man by the name of Paul who said this, I eagerly expect and hope in hope that Christ will be exalted in my body whether I live or whether I die. Do you hear their heart? Do you hear their heart? Their heart is saying, man, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting him. He, I don't care if he never blesses me. I don't care if I never get another gift. I don't care if he kills me. I'm not letting go. There's a connection between me and him that exists beyond anything on the outside. It reminds me of Jacob wrestling with the angel and, and Jacob's hips out of place and, and, and the angel says, let me go. And Jacob said, no, no, I'm hanging on, man. See, that's what a love for God is. It's that connection. It's that love. It's that, it, 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 listen, if the blessings go away, if from here on out it's nothing but persecution and, and, and pain, are you still going to hang on? Is that connection still there? Do you love God? You see, love God is desiring God and treasuring God and wanting God and being satisfied in God just because of who He is. If He never gave you another gift, you would still trust Him. You would still love Him. So I ask that question tonight. Do you love God that way? Are you loving him for his gifts? Are you loving him because he's a problem solver? Are you loving him because he's somehow going to fix your life? Or do you just love him because of who he is? See, that's a true love for God. And I ask that again of you and I ask it of me. Do we really love God that way? Now, that's the first requirement, by the way, that this promise is, is fulfilled in your life. Here's the second one. Are you one of those that are called according to His purpose. Now, we're going to spend the, 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 pretty much the rest of the time tonight on this one, okay? But before we dive into that, I want to ask a question. Have you ever wondered why Paul mentions two things and not just one? Why does he mention both of these things? We know that all things work together for those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. Why does He mention two things? For example, let's think about it. What if He had just said, all things work together for those who love God, and that was it? Let me tell you, I'm glad He didn't say that, because let me tell you, the promise would have rested on some pretty flimsy ground. Let me tell you all, listen, I am a... Christian, I've been a Christian for a long time, I love God, but if that promise had rested on my love for Him, I wouldn't feel comfortable at all, because I know me. I know me. And if it was up to me, I'd have been gone a long time ago. It's not me that, that keeps this, this relationship intact, it's Him. See, this promise doesn't rest on just me and you and our feelings. This promise rests on something far bigger than us. It rests on something God does, something God calls. And see, that's hugely important that it doesn't just rest on me and, and my feelings, but it rests on something that God does. Let's look at the other... Before we move on, though, let's look at from the other side. What if he had just said, all things work together for those who are called? Now, listen... That is awesome. That is a wonderful promise, and it's, 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 it's founded on a rock. But here's the problem. How would you ever know you were called? 
That would have been an awesome promise, but I'd have been sitting there, well, how do I know that I'm one of the called? You see, the fact is I need some kind of sign. I need some kind of assurance that I've been called. You see, folks, that's what the love of God is. See, love for God is what defines those who are called. Let me say that again. That type of love for God is what defines those who are called. This is why Paul gives both. God's calling is is this unshakable foundation for this promise, but the evidence that we belong in that group is that we have this love for God that just will not quit. And that's a beautiful thing. Now let's go back to what he said. Paul says, We know that all things work for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. Now tonight, we're going to look at one word, and that is the word called. This word is used all throughout the New Testament, over and over and over again. But my guess is, if I went around tonight with a microphone and I asked, what does it mean to be called? Most people would struggle with being able to define what it means. So I'm going to do that for you tonight because this is hugely, hugely important. If we go all the way back to the opening verse of Romans, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul is identifying himself in this letter. He's opening a letter, and he says this, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, here's what I want you to see. Notice, do you notice how different that is from our culture? Go, go and look at somebody identify themselves on Facebook or, or Instagram or, or Twitter or whatever. What are they, they're always, I'm a man, I'm white, I'm black, I'm, I'm Asian, this is my pronouns, this is my job, this, it's all about me, 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 me. Paul doesn't do that at all. When Paul identifies himself, it's not anything he's done, it's what God has done to him. See, his identity belongs. His identity is centered on what God has called him to do. I've been bought. I've been called. I've been set apart. Now, the good thing about this is this isn't just for Paul. This is for me and you. A few verses later in verses 6 and 7, Paul says this, "...among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ to those who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints." So when Paul turns and starts describing you and I, the readers of this letter, he says, that's who you are. You are the called. You are called to be saints. You are loved by God. Well, what does he mean? That's our identity. And let me say this again. This, what we're talking about tonight, is a big deal. This is who you are. You see, you will never understand your identity in Christ. You'll never understand who you are unless you understand what God has done for you. You'll never get it. You'll you'll always live below where you should be if you don't understand what God Almighty has done for you. Okay? So let's move ahead. What does Paul mean when he uses this term called? What I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to ask some simple questions, and we're going to answer them with Scripture. Okay? So let's start out with this one. Somebody's doing the calling, right? And they've got a purpose. So who's doing the calling and why? Well, this is an easy one. Scripture answers this for us. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says this, God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Lord, uh, Jesus Christ our Lord. So the one who's doing the calling is God. And the purpose of the call 
is to bring someone into fellowship or into a relationship with his son. Does everybody see that? What I want you to do tonight, I want you to picture a, a mom. And, and she's cooking supper, and it's, it's about, say, 6 o'clock in the evening, and, and uh, the dad's out in the shop, the kids are outside playing, and she goes to the door, and she issues a call. Now, her call is to come to supper, right? That's the call. Well, God is doing something. You just keep that in the back of your mind. But God's doing the same thing. He's issuing a call, and the purpose of the call is to bring people into a relationship, into fellowship, with his son. That's the whole point of the call. Okay? Now, let's ask another question. Who are the ones being called? Well, the Bible is clear that everyone receives this call. Theologians refer to this as the gospel call, and that's the term that I'll use uh, here tonight. It's a call that goes out to everyone. And you see this all throughout the Bible. John 3.16, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Acts 17.30, he commands all people everywhere to repent. Matthew 7.8, for everyone who asks, receive. You see those words? Everyone, everywhere, anyone, whoever, all. The idea is, is this gospel call is going out to everybody. Okay? Come to the supper. Come and have fellowship with my son. Now, How does the call go out? Okay, this is very important. It turns out that the gospel call goes out through human language. It comes from a pulpit on a Sunday morning. It it comes from here, maybe on a Wednesday night. It it can go through a, a television show. It can come across a radio program. It can come through a podcast or an email or a tweet. It can come through a, a Facebook. It can come through a, an old-fashioned letter. In other words, the gospel call is one person sharing the gospel with another person or other people. Everybody with me? That's how God designed the gospel call to go out. Now, by the way, this is incredibly important because people cannot be saved without this. Listen to Romans ten fourteen. How then shall they call on Him whom they've not believed? And how can they believe in Him of whom they've never heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? Paul says they can't believe on Jesus if they've never heard of Him. And how can they hear about Jesus if somebody never tells them? See, that word preach just means to proclaim. If somebody doesn't use their mouth and use human language to put out the gospel call and tell about Jesus and how He died on a cross for our sins and how we get to exchange our sin for His righteousness and spend eternity with Him, if somebody doesn't share that, how can they ever believe? So the way the gospel call, God designed it, is you and me and Him and her sharing it with one person, or a Billy Graham sharing it with thousands. That's how the gospel call goes out. So I want you to think tonight about the gospel call as this mass mailing, if you will, right? It it, it goes out addressed to whom it may concern, and in that mass mailing is an invitation to a banquet, an invitation to a relationship with Jesus Christ, an invitation to come join a group where all things work for good. Now, here's the next question. What is the response when the gospel call goes out? 
Go back to our, our mom opening the door and calling uh, everybody in for supper. What's the response, right? Do they all just rush in? Do they say, five more minutes, right? <laughs> That's the, what's the response that we get or, or, or God gets when the gospel call goes out? Well, here I've got some bad news. I got bad news. Matthew 7, Jesus said this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. You see, this gospel call goes out, and the many just ignore it. The many are not interested. It's only a few, just a few, that respond to that gospel call. Now... Here's my next question. Why? Why do so few people respond to this invitation that God puts out? People are preaching and and all this gospel's going out and people are sharing and it's just a few people that respond. Why? Well, I want you to think for a minute about the state of the people that are being called. Okay? Okay. So think about the world out there, and they're going about their business tonight, and they're out there, and the gospel call is going out. It's going out through songs, and through radio, and through TV, and through friends, and through emails. It's going out. What's the state of these people? Are they they expectant? Are are they eager to to hear it? Are they they truth seekers? Have they they been seeking God? Are Are they ready to listen, ready to hear? No. No. No, they're not. In fact, the Bible teaches just the opposite. Let me give you a few scriptures that that describes unbelievers. By the way, this was you and I at one point. Romans 3 says, There is none seeking after God. 2 Corinthians 4 says that the, the, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded their minds so they can't see. Romans 8 even says it's worse than that. The sinful mind is hostile to God. So you've got a bunch of people out there. They're going through life. They're, they're, they're not seeking after God. They, they're, they're not, they don't care. And, and even if the message comes, their minds are blinded. They can't see the light. And it's even worse than that. They're actually hostile. Who, who do you think you are? You bunch of religious fanatics. Don't tell me how to live my life. Actually... It's even worse than that. Ephesians 2.1 says this, As for you, you were what? Dead. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. There's an old song. We all know it. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, And from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Now listen, I'm not here tonight to pick apart that old hymn. But let me tell you, you weren't sinking in sin. You were dead. You weren't clawing at the top of the water and saying, God save me. You were a corpse at the bottom of the sea. That's what Scripture says. You were dead. Listen, this is who the gospel call is going out to. That's who it's going out to. If we went down here to Lake Ellen or we went up to the Crawfordville at the Y and we preached all day, are we going to get any response at that graveyard? 
You see, the question is not why do so few respond. The question is why does anybody respond? You are dead. You are blind. You are deaf. You are hostile. I mean, pick any one of those. The question is not why do the few respond. The question is why does anybody respond to this gospel call? Yet people are being saved, aren't they? 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. People are being saved. So I ask the question again, why? What is it about those few people that they're able to accept the gospel message? What is it about me? What is it about you that made you different from the guy or the person sitting next to you? Why, why did you believe when so many people don't? Well, it turns out, and I'm going to show you this in Scripture, that just hearing the gospel call is not enough. Just hearing the gospel, be it come from a pulpit or from the radio or from from a podcast or wherever it comes from, just hearing the gospel call is not enough. We need help. I need help. I need eye-opening, mind-changing, ear ear-unstopping, life-giving help. I need help in order to hear that message. Now listen, we all know this, by the way. We, we quote these scriptures all the time. John six forty four. Jesus said this, No one can come to me unless what? The Father draws him. In fact, John 6.65 says this, Jesus said, This is why I told you no one can come to me unless the Father has granted it to him. So it's obvious from the words of Jesus that just hearing the gospel message is not enough. We need help. We need help from God. We need God to do something in our life. In fact, what we need is another call, a second call. A different call. What, what Paul talks about in his first Timothy to uh, his first letter to Timothy, he says this, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. By the way, the word holy means set apart for the purposes of God. There is a different calling, a second calling that is set apart for the very purposes of God. You need a second call. Now, by the way, I can't just get up here and say that. I've got to prove that from Scripture. So let's look at a few scriptures. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 to 24. Paul says this, But we preach Christ crucified. Now let's stop right there. What did he just say? How can they believe in Jesus unless somebody tells them, right? See, that is the gospel call. That is Paul standing on a street corner and he's preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He's saying, come. Come, I I stand at the door and knock. Anybody that wants to come in and sup with me, open up and I'll come in. He's preaching. That's the gospel call. Everybody with me? Now watch the response. To the Jews, that is a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. See, that's the many. That's the many. They, They hear that call that's going out and they think, that's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But now watch the rest of the verse. He says, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness, but to those who are, say it with me, called. That's you, if you know Jesus. See, that's a different call. 
That's not the street corner where it just goes out to everybody. That is a different call. And listen, when that call comes, both Jews and Greeks see it as the most, most, that's the most powerful, the most beautiful, the greatest thing they've ever heard. Let's look at another one, Matthew twenty-two fourteen. Jesus said this, For many are called. That's the gospel call. That's the call that goes out to everybody. But then he said what? But only a few are chosen. See, that's another call. Romans 8, 30 says this, Whom he called, these he also justified. That's not, he's not talking about the call that goes out to everybody. Because everybody that hears that call is justified, which means they are made right with God. See, he's talking about a completely different call there. Whom he called, these he also justified, and the ones that he justified, these he will also glorify. How about 1 Corinthians one twenty six? For you see your calling, brothers and sisters. By the way, brothers and sisters, he's talking to Christians. He says, you see your calling, brothers and sisters, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Again, he's not talking to the call about the call that goes out to everybody, is he? Because he says, not many noble, not many rich, not many famous, not many wise are called with the calling that you have, brothers and sisters. See, it's clear that when Paul in the New Testament is talking to Christians and he talks about our calling, Sometimes he, he refers to us as the called. He's not talking about this gospel call that goes out to the whole world. This is a call that only goes out to a few. And it is a holy call, and it is meant to raise the dead. Now, how does this calling work? Well, let's take a look at a verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. And if you get a chance later... Make a note and go back and read this verse. Paul here is talking about unbelievers. And this is what he says about them. He sa- it says, "...whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them." So he's describing believe- unbelievers, and he says their minds are blind. By the way, do you understand blind people, there's plenty of light, right? They just can't see it. It's not, that, it's not an absence of light. The light is there, but their mind is blind. They hear the message, but they don't see it for what it really is. Now, watch what he says next. He says, but we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. That's the gospel call. Right? We're preaching Jesus Christ. We're preaching Him crucified. We're, we're preaching this invitation. That's the gospel call. So what makes the difference when this gospel call goes out to these people who are blind? Look at verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. In other words, Paul says, the same God who in Genesis said, let there be light. That same God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Why did I believe when, the, when somebody next to me didn't? Because God turned on a light in my heart so I could see Jesus for who He really was. I could see Him. See, why did I choose God? Why did you choose God? Why does anybody choose God? Because God issues a light-giving call. And when that light-giving call comes into your life, you see Jesus for the first time, not as a stumbling block, 
not as foolishness, but you see Him as the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. All of a sudden, you've heard the same preaching for years, and on that day, the light goes on. The blindness is lifted. God did that. You didn't just wake up smarter that morning. You just didn't suddenly get sense that day. Right? God did that. God did something for you. Listen to Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, how Paul describes it. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. By grace, you've been saved. Now, at this point, most people have this question. Well, who gets the second call? Well, unfortunately, this is the one question I cannot answer. I just don't know the answer to this question. By the way, we are given an answer. In fact, we saw that answer in Romans 8.28. Paul says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. You see, the fact is, who He issues this second call to is, is a mystery that's hidden in the eternal purposes of God. Listen to 1 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. Who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. So just so you're clear, it's not, it's not because you're a man or a woman or white or black or rich or poor or you belong to this family or this part of the country or this ethnicity or because you're a good person or you got a great personality or you're a good speaker. It's got nothing to do with any of that but according to His own purpose and grace, read the rest of it with me, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Before, not just before you were born, before He ever said, let there be light, He had already made these decisions. The unfathomable, eternal purposes of God. That's, I, I, that's all I know. That's all I can tell you. Now, I can't answer this question. Why does God do it this way? Why does God do it this way? Well, here's why. I'll give you two reasons. The first one is incredibly clear in Scripture. Let's read 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. We, we read part of this earlier. Listen to this. For consider your calling. So this is what I'm asking you to do tonight, by the way. Consider your calling. Consider your calling. Don't think about it in some broad... Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Now listen. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, and here's why so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why did God do it the way He does it? He does it so He alone gets the glory. So that no man and no woman and no teenager and no child will ever stand before God and say, look what I did. Look how smart I was. Look at the great decision that I made. No, never. These things were decided, it says, before time began. How can you even take any kind of credit for it? You can't. He did it so that he alone gets 
the glory. Here's reason number two, okay? Jude 1.1 says this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, loved, and kept. Those whom he calls, he sets his love on, and those whom he calls, he keeps. See, I, I said it earlier, I'm, I consider myself a strong Christian. I, I know I, I, every year that goes by, I know more and more and more and more of the Word. Listen to me. If God pulled, the Holy Spirit pulled back from me, I would be gone tomorrow. I would be gone tomorrow. Don't ever think that somehow, some way, that you reach the point where you don't need Him anymore. No, it's all Him, and it's none of you. You would be gone tomorrow. I would be gone tomorrow. The reason I'm still standing here at, from 11 years old to 58, the only reason I'm standing here tonight is because I have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, I have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and I am being guarded and kept by God Almighty. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.8. It says this, "...who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful." Listen through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son. Remember what we said. The same God that called you into fellowship with His Son is faithful to confirm you to the end. See, He's not going to... He doesn't come in and do all this to save you and say, okay, bud, it's up to you now. Just, just do your best. No. He don't play that game. He comes in and He guards and He watches and He keeps. Now... Jesus said this, I'll give you one more scripture, John 6, 37 to 39, all that the Father gives me. See, the Father not only draws, the Father not only grants, the Father gives. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And this is the will of Him who sent me that I should lose, say it with me, nothing, nothing. I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise Him up on the last day. Now, some people here might be saying something like this, but what if I give up? What if I stop believing? What if I, my love for God grows cold? By the way, all those things happen. People do give up. People do stop believing. Jesus said in the last days, the love of many will grow cold, but not the called. Not the called. Not the called. You see, those whom He calls, He keeps. Now, what does that mean for you and I? If, if, I, if I'm called, do I need to do anything? If God's going to guard me and keep me? Absolutely you do. Listen, all things are going to work for your good. Absolutely. But not because you have some kind of moral power to keep loving God. All things are going to work for your good. You're going to keep on enduring because the one who called you is faithful and he will work in you to keep you loving God. Let me, let me back up here. I want to read this scripture because this is such an awesome scripture. If you said, how do I walk out of here and live my life? Listen to this. Therefore, my beloved, he's talking to Christians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is what Paul's saying. Keep fighting. Keep running. Keep praying. Keep studying. Keep pressing. Keep battling. Keep buffeting your body. Keep, keep on, keep on, keep on. But then watch what he says. Because it is God who's working in you to enable you to do all these things. Right? 
See, what we do is we, I said it a couple Sundays ago, what you guys did, for those of you that came to supper tonight, and I know not everybody can come, but just the act of coming and breaking bread with brothers and sisters, that is how you work out your own salvation. That's one of the things you do. Go back to the New Testament and read it. What did they do? From house to house, they broke bread. They broke bread. They broke bread. Why? Because they're getting together. They're fellowshipping. Iron sharpens iron. They're exhorting one another and encouraging one another and pushing one another and sometimes calling one another out. And God's underneath every bit of it, making sure it all happens. Making sure it all happens. See, at the end of the day, as I said, all things are going to work for your good, not because of you, but because God is making sure that you keep on loving Him. He's working it out. He's keeping it going. He's, he's, he's making sure that we're pressing and fighting and praying and serving and doing all the things that we need to do. Hey, next week we're going to come back to part two, and I'm going to give you some examples from the Bible of people who went through some crazy things, but it was all for their good. Listen, I know some of you, I don't know all of your stories. Some of you know my story. Um, We all go through things that are not pleasant. You don't get out of this life without suffering. I've said it over and over again. How important it is, how important it is for you to believe in the very deepest place of your heart that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Let's pray. Father, what... An incredible verse. What an incredible verse. What an incredible God. God, help us uh, to, to see beyond just the beauty of this verse and, and, the, and the, uh, the, 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 the incredibleness of this promise. Make sure, God, before we leave here, that we see beyond that and we see you because you're the one that is the foundation. You're the one that is calling. You're the one that is keeping. You're the one that is guarding. You're the one that's making all of this possible. God, we honor you. We worship you. We glorify your name. You deserve all the glory. I I just right here tonight in front of all these people, I give it all to you, Lord. It's none of me. It is all of you. You deserve the glory. As I said, I, I am... If they knew who I was, they wouldn't even like me. But God, you love me. You love me in spite of all that. And you're guarding me and keeping me. Thank you, God. And I know there's people around here can repeat that exact same thing. That we know we're not worthy. We know we're not good enough. We know that. That's why we fall at your feet. That's why we, we, we put it all on you, Lord. Thank you for opening our ears to that truth, to to, to shining the light in our hearts so that we could see Jesus for who He really was. Father, we give You the glory. If there's anybody here tonight, Lord, that doesn't know You, that they've been hearing this message and maybe for the first time they've started to see this Jesus, not, not as just somebody who can get them out of trouble, not, not that just somebody who can heal their marriage or, or, or pay off their debts or anything like that. They just see you as the most beautiful person they've ever seen and they want to get to know you. God, this night, save them. This night, open their hearts, minds, eyes. God, let them see you for who you really were, are. And God, change their life. 
change their life the way you've changed so many of ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to the River of Life podcast. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email at info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Wednesday at 7 p.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions. Thank you.